Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. The Mark of the Beast. Now, I know that is a tantalating title when it comes to any sort of message or show that we're going to be doing. But specifically, we've been asked a number of times by brethren, by sisters in Christ and so forth, who are asking whether or not, because they've heard, maybe they were watching some channel online, that worshiping Jesus Christ on Sunday as a church body actually is a mark of the beast, or I guess it's a, an allegorized version of the mark of the beast. And we're going to be looking at that and a number of other questions on this show. And what we want to do is have somewhat of a live Q&A. So if you guys are in the chat, we know we always got some awesome brothers and sisters in the chat. You guys can ask questions and we will try to answer them during this show. But we do have a number of questions from our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash goodfight. And we're going to be answering those questions first. And then we'll be going to our YouTube and Facebook questions and checking them out to see what you guys have to ask. So with me today to discuss all this and to answer all these questions is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Praise the Lord, brother. Ready to get going? <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I, I'm excited because I think we got some good questions here today. We actually have a good starting point with a few Patreon questions that did come in, Joe. And I know I'm excited not only for this show, but for everything that's going on at the ministry. And we can kind of give a little bit of an update to start because we are currently working on the second part of the seven-part series of Marvel and DC's War on God. But right now we do have part one, the Antichrist agenda, available for everybody. You can go right to our Vimeo page. You can go to MarvelDCExposed.com and you can actually watch it right now. Please wait. All you got to do is wait till six because this will be over and you can watch it afterwards. But you could go there and actually watch it right there on our page. Or you can even order it. As Joe is pointing out, you can order a DVD version of it as well, which are awesome to be able to give out. Those are really great, Joe, for people to be able to give these out. And to be honest with you, I thought less and less people were watching DVDs, but I've been astounded by how many people are ordering those. Yeah, we're selling scores of them each week, just as far as just, you know, these, the hard copies, not the digital. We're, I mean, both are moving and it's great, you know, uh, but they're very, very effective. Very effective ways to witness people and to wake people up. Millions of professing Christians are knee deep and many up into their eyeballs with this stuff and and they need to be made aware of where it's all going and what it's all about no it's so true and it is it is guys it is so important because i, I was just recently doing an interview regarding this uh video and one of the things that it, it always brings me back to a place i think it's great for all of us to kind of go back to that place of when we first came to christ and the thing that was pointed out to you and you know obviously for me was watching they sold their souls to rock and roll and just the realization that I had been duped, the realization that I had been lied to, that the enemy was working through all these artists that I was idolizing, literally, right? 
And then to come to find out that they all had the same philosophy, they were all pushing me towards the same direction, mm -hmm. only to find out that the only place I needed to go was to Jesus Christ. And when he said, he who is not with me is against me, and he who is does, not, does not gather with me scatters, I was seeing the scattered pieces all over. And I think, Joe, when it comes to this video and being able to hand it out, I think this shows all the scattering of pieces that really is coming back and duping a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's so important, guys. And, you know, we've we've done some shows, even on some conservative talk shows and and, and so forth, telling this to people. A lot and of interviews lately. A lot of interviews. And people have Not no idea, juggle. Joe. People have yeah. no idea. And I'm astounded all the time by how many people are, are really being fooled by this stuff. And they're thinking, oh, this is a great, this shows the conservative mindset, you know, and, and, and so forth. And I'm like, oh, no. You don't realize who you're rooting for on this. Yeah, we're getting interviewed by people that think we're pro Marvel in DC until we get on there and it's like <laughs> secular stations. Yeah, and, playing and Led Christian. Zeppelin for bumper, bumper yeah, music that's and happened. stuff. Not, not with it, you. But the people interviewing us. That would never happen on this show. Praise God. Uh, but but nonetheless, Joe, I, I wanted to give that update because so many people, you know, you guys um, maybe knew the channel or, or whatever. Maybe you're just clicking on this because you're, hey, man, I've been taught that or I really want a good answer for that because I've been hearing that. I heard this as a new believer, Joe, this question that we're going to answer a little bit later in the show, but this question of whether or not worshiping on the first day of the week, whether or not that's actually the mark of the beast, this was something that I remember a couple weeks into coming to Christ. You want to lead with that question? We talking. Can. I wasn't going to. Oh, no, I thought you were going to. No, like, whatever no. one you want to go first. No, I'm Yeah, no, that's a huge, you know, that's an important question because if you've been taught that, you think you're worshiping on Sunday and it's like, oh, this... I'm being told this is the wrong day to worship and I might have the mark of the beast or or in time I'll have the mark of the beast. I mean, that causes a lot of confusion. And uh, Seventh-day Adventist, not every Seventh-day Adventist uh, believes and follows Ellen White. Not all of them believe that you have to keep the Sabbath to be saved and so forth. So I think it's important that we uh, uh, ferret this out because there are many who are under what I believe is, a, we love, we have a lot of Seventh-day Adventists in our audience, but we let them know because we love them. Uh, many of them have a zeal, but we let them know that uh, you can't put your trust in the law of Moses or keeping the Sabbath for salvation. Uh, you, you, that could be even come a different gospel if you come to the point of you have to do this to be saved. And we warn about that. But I found in time that there's a lot of Seventh-day Adventists that do not follow Ellen White as a prophetess, that don't I believe you got to keep the Sabbath to be saved. Uh, and there's those as well that don't believe the mark of the beast is 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 worshiping on Sunday, but that's the historic teaching of their church, and many of them still believe it. And we we get questions. That's one of the recent questions we had. We've had that question every time, so it's good to deal with it. Yeah, no, amen. And you know, um, you know, Joe, let's jump right into it. And I wanted to put this out before we start answering the first couple of questions. If you do have a question, you guys can leave it here. And while Joe's answering, I'll be peering into the chat. And if I can find something that we can answer, we're going to try to get to that as well. We'll try to get to as many as possible. So please leave them and try to make them concise and try to make them make sense uh, if you can. Because sometimes <laughs> I know we get excited. Uh, we can uh, we can forget uh, how long we have to read and type. But let's read this first question. Like I said, this is from one of our Patreons. This is from Penny, who is out there in Texas. Praise the Lord for you, sister. And your question, she said, Hello, fam. I have a question that may seem silly. I don't know, but I'm genuinely curious about. How do you reconcile the simplicity of the gospel with the complexity of theology? I have the hardest time trying to explain why theology and apologetics are so important to my family. 
God bless you guys. Love you and send greetings from BHC, Texas. Guys, we love you out there. And by the way, Doug Steppleton is out there right now with James Jackson in San Antonio. And he's one of the guys from Good Fight Ministries. So we love you guys. I know we're going to be coming out there soon, hopefully, and Lord willing, building a foundation that raises some money for us. So anyways, Joe, there's the question. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. Uh, we, theology, you don't have to be, you know, a theologian, obviously, to uh, receive the gospel. A, a child can understand the gospel. Uh, but it's important. The reason theology is important, and, and the gospel is theology. So one way they, they go together, uh, in fact, for God to love the world, right? They gave he that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes him should perish but have eternal life right there's a lot of theology there uh we we read of the the very character of god that he, he loves us he loves the world the lost world and we the church uh those who come to christ are part of the beloved we're especially loved because we've become part of of uh now he loves everybody uh and he's not partial but whoever comes to him they get to experience now the love of god which is in christ jesus as the beloved but even John 3.16, the simplest verse in the Bible for many to understand, is full of theology. You know, for God so loved the world, God is his nature there is God is love, the scriptures tell us. We see his character, uh, the extent of his love is the world. He's not partial. So we learn some things about his his uh character there. Uh that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That we 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 realize that he is the bestower of eternal life. So it's even theology in in and you know that gives us a snapshot of the gospel, but not the fullness of the gospel that we read about in First Corinthians 15, where Paul says, "I declare unto you the gospel by which you are being saved. Behold, fast that which was first communicated to you, that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day." So now there's a, a we get to the fuller picture of the gospel. It says death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, but theology is very, very important because it's in theology that we study God. We want we're called in the Scripture to grow in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord. And uh, when you grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord, you're studying theology and you're getting to know God's attributes. Uh, it's one thing for us to hear that God's provided a way to save us, but how do we know we can trust this God? Well, in theology, you learn his attributes. You learn uh, he's faithful. You learn, as we've talked about already, he loves us. Uh, and then the deeper you go into studying who God is and knowing him, the more you fear him, because you realize that he is, as the scriptures say, a consuming fire, uh, but you can't ignore that he is love. You start to realize that God is love. God is a consuming fire. God is holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. As Paul said, consider therefore the goodness and the severity of God. If you don't learn theology, uh, you just ignore that and you go, oh, praise God, I have John 3.16. You know, I just, I believe in Jesus and so forth. Well, you know, what does the Bible say about repentance? What does the Bible say about sanctification? What does the Bible say about sanctification? It says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord, right? So you need to know that like, uh, in case you're tempted to go off the, the straight and narrow path. And then there's the question as to whether you can even leave the straight and narrow path. Because some say, well, faith is a gift. And then once you receive the gift of faith, uh, you can't help but keep believing and so forth. But the Bible mentions that you can shipwreck your faith. And Paul warns Timothy not to shipwreck his faith, but to hold on to a good conscience and faith and not become shipwrecked in his faith as did Hymenaeus and Alexander, who he handed over to Satan uh, to learn not to blaspheme. So when you go to the scriptures, uh, we need to start studying. We need to know the scriptures. We need to study it to not only appreciate who God is more in theology, but to know how to relate to him, uh, to know how to, how to have intimacy with him. How do we come to the Father? On the way, the truth, the life. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me. So all this is theological. And some of the stuff I mentioned now is, is a little bit milky 
because I want people to understand that you need to, when you get to the gospel, it's so rich and so beautiful. But Paul warns us not to go beyond the simplicity of the gospel and receive a different Jesus, a different gospel, and a different spirit in 2 Corinthians 11. But then we need to get into the meat, you know? So in Hebrews, he says he wants them to go beyond the milk and get into the meat. And he said they ought to be teachers by now. And it grieves the spirit of God if we just still have diapers on, you know, if we're still got the, you know, got the baba and everything. And, you know, if when you're 25 years old and you're still wearing a diaper and you're still drinking from a baba and you're a giant crib and you have a choice as to whether or not you can grow or not, I'm not talking about somebody who is challenged in those ways, but someone who could grow, but they just decide they only want milk. That becomes very, very heartbreaking to the Lord. Can you imagine your child refuses to wipe himself and he can? And that's where a lot of professing Christians are. They they refuse to go deeper into the theology. And if you just rest and you just drink meat, you're in, you're in incredible danger. We learned that in 1 Corinthians 3. We learned that in Hebrews 5 because it says those who are just on milk and aren't accustomed to meat, uh, the meat, he says, it's how we discern good and evil. And then he goes warns about going beyond the elementary principles of the word and going beyond the doctrine of repentance from dead works and faith in God and so forth and into the deeper things of God. Otherwise, you can go backwards, and he goes into Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 10, where he warns about apostasy and falling away. So it's not just that you could just kick back and, and be, oh, I'm just a carnal Christian. Carnal Christians, so-called, uh, I think it's a misnomer. It's not con- congruent, uh, the terms, but somebody certainly can become carnal that has received Christ, but then they end up in a lot of danger because that's the, those are the steps toward apostasy. Yeah, and I think there, you know, and you obviously touch on this as well, having an understanding of the simplicity of the gospel and coming to Christ through that simplicity that God has given us in order to bring us to him. But also you have, I mean, in Proverbs, I love Proverbs 25 too, uh, that says it's the glory of God to conceal a manner, but the honor of kings to search it out, Amen. you know. And really that is our job to be rightly dividing the word of truth, to be just digging into those scriptures, to be meditating on them day and night. So you're like the tree planted against the water that bears fruit in its season. And there's just so much. And, and, and Joe, I mean, bragging about the Bible is one of my favorite things to do. And, and this is one of those areas where I can teach the simplicity of the gospel to my children and they understand it. But it's so cool, too, as as a as a younger father, you know, having a nine year old, a seven year old, a four year old and a two year old, having my my nine year old and my seven year old understand harder concepts of of the gospel. And you just see them actually that, you know, their brain ticking things like time and energy and those things having having it's hard to understand at first. And then they start grasping it and understanding eternity and living forever with Jesus I think it's really beautiful, and I do believe it's God's grace that he's given us. You know, hey, here's the simple gospel to be saved, and here in your sanctification, which the Bible says, Jesus said, you'll be sanctified by his word. His word is truth, that we get to grow, and God gets to grow us through his word. I think it's one of the coolest aspects of being a believer. Amen, Chad. And it's interesting, too, because I forget who said it, some theologian in the past, that uh, the gospel is, you know, uh, so simple that a little kid— it could wade in its waters and appreciate it, but it's so deep, you know, the theology of God's word is so deep that learned scholars can drown in it, you know, and it's interesting because when he talks about going beyond the milk of the word, which I believe refers to the gospel and those, those and even it's kind of interesting when you look at what is, are listed in Hebrews, the first few verses of chapter six that are called milk, 
It's beyond <laughs> what most Christians know when you go <laughs> through that list. Point. It's really sad, actually. Yeah. And then it says, I want to go on and talk about Melchizedek, because Melchizedek is a picture of Christ. Some believe Melchizedek was uh, a, uh, a theophany, a Christophany, Christ appearing. Others believe that he's a literal king, and, it, that he, and he wasn't Jesus, but he's a picture of Jesus. We're not going to get into that debate. Now I can hear the questions coming. That'll be another time because I'll take a little while to explain. But it's interesting because when you look at those texts, uh, he goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 5, he's been talking about Melchizedek a little bit. He says, I, I want to talk more about Melchizedek, but I can't because you're only on milk. And Melchizedek is a, this incredible picture, king of righteousness, you know, of, of Jerusalem, of Salem, Jerusalem, you know, about beginning the days. And he wants to get into that more deeply and that Jesus is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. But he says he, he can't really go there because you guys are still babes. Well, we love to teach the milk, and we teach a lot of milk, and we teach a lot of meat. Uh, in fact, on Sunday, the, the, the morning service, Resurrection Sunday, a few weeks back, uh, we did 12 different types, 12 different pictures of Jesus' resurrection in the Old Testament, different stories that are pictures or prefigurations of Jesus' resurrection. When people say, where's the resurrection in the Old Testament? We showed 12 of them, 12 of them. Then I did one more on Sunday morning after that in the assembly that meets in this building here. And I had a great time. By the way, I think it's really cool too, because after he says he wants to go on, but they're dull of hearing, he can't help it. But by the Holy Spirit's leading in chapter seven, he goes back to Melchizedek and says some stuff about it anyway. Because he's like, <laughs> hopefully I've chastened them a little bit and they'll grow and they'll appreciate this part of the letter those who are dull of hearing in time. So we all, there's hope for all of us. All right, Joe. Now I'm going to take just a step back. I know the first one was from a Patreon subscriber on patreon.com slash good fight. But this one that I will be asking just, it was an interesting question and it kind of links it with some of the other questions they were asking. And this is from, I think it says quinoa. I think like the, I don't know. That's it. What is that? Never what is, drink quinoa. No, I'm just kidding. No, no. A quinoa, is that the, uh, it, it, it's kind of like a rice thing. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it is. Um, I typically only I don't eat meat. I pronounce but, it right, uh, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, uh, and they ask, this is an interesting question. I don't want to go too down. It's, it's okay. Far. You got to mix the protein in or at least some tofu, <laughs> but I'm not a guy like meat. <laughs> I don't want to go down too many rabbit holes on this one. But he did ask, is Jesus pro-American? And I think that's that could be a good question to kind of, to ask. And, and guys, we want to, we're opening it up with this because you get a you get a shot at asking a question you have on here, and we'll try to answer it the best we can and give you the best biblical answer that we can try to get. Yeah, well, we're in a democratic republic. A lot of people say we're in a democracy, and it's, but it's a democratic republic. There's laws, right? They've been eroded greatly. Uh, it's not Jesus's perfect government, which is a monarchy. Uh, you know, where Jesus reigns and he'll reign for a thousand years and goes on to say in Revelation as well, forever and ever. That's the kingdom that we're praying for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in, in, hev as it is in heaven. So we're waiting for his kingdom. Uh, unfortunately, uh, what's happened in our country is because every government's imperfect, and our government happens to be, I believe, personally, in my conviction, one of the best uh, governmental systems that's not, uh, uh, you know, that's not the Lord's monarchy, but as far as human systems go, We've been around over a couple hundred years, and there's been a lot of security in this nation where you look at a lot of the other nations with guerrilla warfare and governments are toppled every so many years. It's, it's crazy, right? Uh, so we've had a lot of stability, so there's a lot to be thankful for. But uh, is he pro-American? Uh, you know, our, our country has killed. So I wanted to make a distinction between being a democratic republic and our country right now. 
Uh, we've murdered over 62 million babies. And this is ordained by the Supreme Court. And we know the battle that we're having right now, right? And the Supreme Court justices are going to decide soon as to whether this becomes a state issue or not, something to pray about. But our hands are stained with the blood. I'm speaking of America, uh, the blood of innocence. We've, uh, the, the White House was lit up celebrating the dissolution of marriage being defined between a man and a woman and now allowing it, uh, gay marriage and everything else. So uh, I believe he, I believe the Lord looks at those in America and loves them. He gave his son for us and he wants us to be saved. But as far as the way we're going, uh, it's, you know, it's been said that if God doesn't judge America, I think it was said of Frisco, uh, he'd have to uh, say sorry to Sodom and Gomorrah. And, you know, God never has to say he's sorry, though. So I don't even really totally like that quote, but I understand the point there is that we're ripe for judgment. So what God is, is he's pro his son, God the Father. And he's He's pro us coming to know his son and being saved and so forth. So that's got to be our emphasis. But at the same time, since uh, you live here and you're a citizen, I think that we have a, a because we have a voice that if we our voices can uphold righteous laws and uh uh, since we're in a democratic republic and that's and, and we have a constitution and so forth, I think it's wise for Christians to take a stand for that, you know, and be thankful that we're in a government that has these types of laws. But at the same time, be aware that a lot of our, when you talk about democratic republic, laws can change with votes and amendments and everything else. And because when you're speaking of the, the people ruling, right, and not Jesus ruling, then you're going to go the way the people and when the people, as the scripture warns, become more and more lawless, uh, uh, lawlessness will be voted in. And that's what we see happening right now. So uh, the scriptures say every nation, people, and tongue will worship the beast, the Antichrist. And that includes the country that we're in right now. And unfortunately, we have to be very, very careful because right now people are confusing uh, America with, you know, as like, if, you know, that we're, we're the promised land now. Some of the Puritans came over thinking this was a new promised land, Chad. And uh, the Mormons, you know, in Utah, they've named, I mean, they they believe that this is the promised land. And God, you know, that this is like the new promised land. Uh, Israel is, is the nation that God established. That's his ancient nation. And that's the one uh, that is the time clock of prophecy when you, you look at what's going on in Israel and so forth. And uh, we need to be aware that it says all the nations and people in tongues will worship the beast. So we need to make sure that our allegiance is first and foremost, always to Jesus. And we also see where the nations are going. At the same time, uh, you know what? We need to you know, be like the prophets and take a stand against sin and righteous. And we need to stand in righteousness and warn this nation of judgment that's coming if, if they don't repent. And hopefully there'll be times of repentance for this nation and times of uh, people coming to Christ. But we also need to be aware that the Bible warns about a counterfeit kingdom in the end. And I have some strong convictions uh, and I'll be doing a message on it pretty soon, Lord willing. I did. I, I, if you listen to my part two of my Gog Magog message, we're talking about Russia and then Turkey and so forth. Uh, I talked about uh, Babylon a little bit there. And I'll be doing something on New York and so forth because there is a hearted city in the end that rules over the nations of the earth and is, you know, running the commerce of the world and is spreading the immorality throughout the world. And I don't know who that could be other than us right now so uh and we're going to get into that and that's a concern because our country is so turned from god and the harlot claims to be the bride 
in the end, right? She's, I sit, and I'm not a widow and so forth. Then judgment comes to her. I think many professing Christians be caught up in that thinking it's a revival when they're actually worshiping the Antichrist and following the false prophet and thinking it's the move of God, but actually they're persecuting true and genuine Christians because we're not patriotic for this whore of Babylon. Yeah, no, and it's really interesting too. So if you wanted to look at a little bit of church history on how somewhat of the early church actually, what they looked like inside of even Rome and so forth, but if you actually look at the Episcopal of Mothetes to Diognetus, you'll kind of see what they what their mm-hmm. view was in the early church about how they should walk. And then if you actually look at the first and second apology of Justin Martyr, you'll see that he talks about how great the citizens were in terms of the Christians as citizens of Rome, but they didn't partake in their wicked sins. They right. didn't call upon uh, the emperor there and call him Yahweh. So th- these things are, are important and they're really good to look at as well. I mean, as you could get into murder, you know, you could get into murdering babies, you can get into some of the wars that we've gone into. There's a lot of things that are obviously wicked, but God still died for the lost here in America. And we want to make sure that we're witnessing to them. So solid question. Now we're going to move back over and we have a brother and sister in Christ from Florida who actually drove all the way out here, Joe, and they're part of our Patreon family. And they asked, a couple of different questions. So we're going to try to get to all of them and then we'll get back to a few other questions because when we get specifically on the Mark question, we do have some questions that people have asked regarding keeping the Sabbath. So I'm kind of holding those back. So mm-hmm. once the this question is answered, we can answer those ones from the live chat as well. But the first question she's had, if we saints are to be changed when Jesus returns and our bodies no longer subject to death, why does the Bible say someone dying at a hundred will be like dying as a young child? Who is populating the millennium aside from the saints? No, that's a great question because it can be confusing. You have resurrected bodies. We're resurrected when Christ uh, comes back. When Jesus returns, we're caught to meet him in the air and our bodies are made immortal uh, and imperishable. And what a glorious day that is going to be, you know? We're looking forward to that, but uh, it's interesting because we'll be dwelling with more mortal bodies, those whose bodies are still decaying. And if they, you know, die young, if they die at a hundred or so, that'll be like dying young. Kind of interesting. What's going on there? Really good question. Uh, well, it's important to think it through uh, and look at the scripture, and the scripture reveals it to us. First of all, uh, as far as resurrected resurrection body with non-resurrected bodies, that's already happened before. Okay, when Jesus rose from the dead, uh, he, you know, he is he rose and he's in his body is incorruptible, right? But he ate fish with the, the apostles. He hung out with them and, and ministered to them and taught them over a course of about 40 days before he ascended. They weren't resurrected yet, right? That's kind of interesting. But then regarding the timing, uh, what we we understand uh that at the last day, you know, Jesus said that the resurrection you'll be raised on the last day not seven years before the last day. And when that, and all those that are in Christ, he says, everyone, you know, that belongs to me, we raise on the last day. And when we're raised on that last day at the end of the tribulation period, that's when we'll, we'll be caught up to meet him in the air, receive our new bodies. Okay. Uh, Jesus isn't going to be like the yo-yo there coming down and back up. He's going to keep coming down after he's caught up to meet us. He's going to keep coming down. He's going to put his feet on the Mount of Olives and we'll have our resurrected bodies. Well, the scriptures tell us that Jesus will reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years, right? And well, it's interesting, there's the resurrected bodies on the earth, 
But where do the other bodies come from? These non-resurrected or these yeah, non-resurrected bodies. We know in the scripture that Jesus said to the Jews who had rejected him of the Jewish nation, I come in my father's name and you receive me not. If another one comes in his own name, him you will receive, uh, speaking of the Antichrist. So many of them will receive the Antichrist. Yet Jesus also said to others, uh, you know, I'm going to leave to you your house desolate, which was 70 AD, right? Under Titus, uh, Jerusalem was sacked and so forth. But he said, you will not see me again until you say, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord. There'll come a time after the Lord reproves and disciplines Israel, and we call it also the tribulation of Jacob's trouble. Uh, they're disciplined heavily. Uh, well, many of them will cry out to God. And we go to Revelation chapter 12, and we see the woman, which is Israel in Revelation, if you read it from the beginning to the end, the, the sun and the moon, the, the 12 stars, just taken from the, the latter chapters of Genesis, when it's describing Jacob's sons in Israel. Uh, this is called this woman who gives birth to the man-child that's Christ coming from Israel. And then this woman goes into the wilderness to be protected by God for four, uh, for 1260 days. We're talking about the 1290 days. We're talking about the time of the tribulation period there for 42 months. And at the end of the tribulation period, they can't rely. Israel won't be able to rely on God anymore. Everybody's turned against them. All the nations will gather together to destroy Israel. And at that point, they realize, wow, we can't, we're no match for the world. And many Jews will be crying out to Yahweh. And we're told in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, mm-hmm. that when they're crying out, we're told that they'll see him whom they pierced. Yeah. And they'll mourn from him as one mourns for his only son. Interesting language there. And uh, and then it talks about the different tribes and how uh, after they've seen him, they pierced, they'll be weeping. They'll be bawling, right? They'll be crying and they'll be set apart. And, and then it says in chapter 13, verse 1, right after that, a fountain of cleansing will be opened to them. And this fountain of cleansing, I believe, is them being under the blood of Christ and being saved. But guess what? They didn't get caught up in the rapture. They didn't participate uh, in having the transformation of their bodies and uh, putting on these new bodies. So they go into the millennial period in non-resurrected bodies. And then if you go two chapters later to Zechariah chapter 14, it says in the first few verses that Jesus' feet will land on the Mount of Olives. The Lord's feet will land on the Mount of Olives. And then it talks about, you know, the wicked who are being judged and they'll fire their weapons at each other and while they're standing, their eyes, their eyeballs, their tongues will melt out of their rot, or as the King James says, consumed out of their sockets. Uh, crazy, right? Well, guess what? It says those who are left from the nations who did not go up against the Lord at the Battle of Armageddon. Okay, they'll be summoned to go and worship the Lord, right? And uh, they'll and now these guys can choose to to follow or not. And uh, I don't believe these are folks with the mark of the beast. I believe these are young people people that are before the age of accountability. They haven't been tested yet, but they're the leftovers from the nations. They don't participate in the sheep and goat judgment when Jesus returns. Those that are left from the nation, it says, they'll be given a choice to go up and worship the Lord, celebrate the Feast of Booths, kind of like coming out of Egypt, right? Going to the promised land in literal Jerusalem where Jesus is reigning, the topography has changed. It's beautiful. But if they don't go up, it talks about how they'll be punished. So it shows you that they're not necessarily believers, right? They aren't believers until Jesus invites them. And those folks, so you have Jews and those folks from the nations that are left over, Jews and Gentiles in natural bodies in the millennial period. Now, what's this business about? Wow, they die like at 100 or so, like dying young. Well, that's their topography's changed. When Jesus comes back, there's the, the Mount of Olives is, 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 is cleaved, and there's a huge earthquake fault that goes underneath the Mount of Olives, which is kind of interesting. They found 
it's cleaved and, you know, describes that whole situation. And it says in the scripture in Isaiah and other places that the earth at that time when the Lord's kingdom comes will become like Eden. So we restored to somewhat of an Edenic state, not the perfect new heaven and new earth yet. That comes after uh, the millennial period and, and some time. And then there's a great white throne judgment. And then there's the uh, new heaven and the new earth. But this is prior to that during the millennial kingdom, which will be Edenic uh, in many ways. So even as they lived for hundreds and hundreds of years after the fall, right? Uh, that state will be somewhat restored to where Satan will be bound. The environment will be better. Food will probably be better. Uh, and it's just going to be huge. But you'll have resurrected people living with people in non-resurrected bodies, uh, those that serve the Lord. And then just like they, you know, hated Jesus, they'll hate, many will turn and hate him. And then it says like the sands of the sea after Satan's let loose from the abuso, the chains, he's let loose for a short time. And then he leads the nations against Christ at that time on his holy mount in Jerusalem. The father reigns fire upon uh, the wicked at that point. And then comes the great white throne judgment, then you have new earth. Praise the Lord. Uh, I wanted to go back to a YouTube question that we had come in. This is more practical. I know we're already 35 minutes in. We haven't even gotten to the mark <laughs> questions. And we have some coming in as well uh, regarding the Sabbath. But this question was more practical. And this is from Joe R. And he said, how do I glorify God in my life if I'm called to an occupation versus going out to preach? How do I please God if I want to work in earnest and provide a good life for my family? Thanks and God bless. No, that's a great question. And that that's a, a brother who's seeking the Lord and wanting to glorify him. Amen. And saying, how do I best do this? You know, and, uh, you know, Paul said when you get married in first Corinthians seven, that he says better if you're single, you know, you're actually better. And, you know, uh, people try sometimes treat singleness as, as a negative thing in the body. When actually Paul said, he would that all were like he, right? Single man. And he said, uh, and if you don't have the gift of singleness, Paul says, that, you know, if you have the gift, divide with it, right? Not everybody said has that gift, right? I certainly didn't have that gift and I got married. But Paul says, if you marry, he said, you know, you'll have trouble in the flesh. Uh, there'll be some struggles. And he said, also, those who are married, they to please one another, they have to be of the world to a degree. He's not talking about being sinful and wicked, but he just talked about, he's talking about in that context, that they have to provide for each other. They, they have a family, so they're more encumbered. You know, and we see the apostle Peter, he he was married, and we see him in the first several chapters in the book of Acts, and certainly married people could do a lot for the kingdom of God. Uh, but look what Paul did. I mean, he dominated the book of Acts, uh, the latter chapters, you know, uh, almost two-thirds of it, it, you know, not quite, but well over half, almost two-thirds, deals with Paul's ministry and so forth. And he's a single man. I think that's an interesting paradigm. Uh, so, but you're already married, you know, if you're single, cry out to God and say, you know, Lord, your will be done and reveal to me if I'm to be single or not, or to, or, or to, I, I, when I was, a, when I was a Christian, my first years as a believer, you know, I was very, very careful. I said, Lord, do I have the gift of singleness? I cried out to him and, and, you know, that's another question we can answer sometimes. How do you know they have the gift of singleness? That can be a bit subjective though. So, but it's interesting. Uh, it's a great question. And it depends of course, what your occupation is, you know? If you're getting people drunk, I don't think that's the best <laughs> occupation. Uh, uh, or if you're doing things that are are detrimental toward the church or towards society, I would pray and, and ask the Lord to open a door and, and, and go through a door to another occupation. But presuming you have an occupation where you can be a godly man at your occupation, 
But the Bible says, whatever you do, do it with all your might. So I'd be, I'd be a great employee. Uh, uh, this is kind of something that we have to watch out for in the body of Christ. Sometimes people are challenged by preachers, pastors, people like myself, I'm a pastor, uh, go out and do radical things for Jesus. And if you're not like going across the world and learning the language of a, uh, an unknown tribe and converting them to Christ, you know, it's as though your life doesn't count so much because, you know, you have to hold down a job and provide for your family. And praise God for anyone who could do what I just mentioned. Praise the Lord. We need to be praying for them. And, you know, we've done a lot of mission work and, and I've been in several countries spreading the gospel. We're all for that. But I'm talking to just believers in general now is do, do we realize that most of the church po- possibly, we don't know for sure, but we're, we're, we're probably slaves or if not most, a good portion of the church were slaves. They couldn't even go on mission trips. But how, and, and Paul's addressing them. He's addressing believers. He knows so many of them are slaves, right? So uh, what? how could they spread the gospel? Do, you, do we realize how much of an impact we can have on people by simply shining the light of Christ where we're at for a time? And of course, we don't want to neglect the gospel, preach the gospel, you know, go to all the nations, right? Well, guess what? When that was said, he, Jesus said to go into Jerusalem, Samaria, right? And then uttermost parts of the earth. Well, I'm across the world, Chad and I and many of you from Israel right now, okay? I know we have many people in different uh, countries throughout uh, Europe, uh, the Middle East and so forth. But wherever you're at, if you're not in Jerusalem and, and, and Samaria, you know, you're in a place where we're supposed to go to spread the gospel. So you're on a mission field, right? And you're, in your work, you could look at as a mission field. So I, w- I would encourage you to just be faithful where you're at and, and, and shine Jesus and cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, do you want me to go on the mission field full time? And can that work out with my family? Right. But be faithful to your, to your, your commitment to your wife and your children, because our commitment to our families is, is paramount because you cannot be a leader in the church as an elder, unless you manage your own household well. And that's where Lord first looks is what we're doing at home. So be what God's called you to be at home and then shine the light all around you and pray that God will guide your steps. Amen. Amen. And so, guys, we want to go back to Austin and Stars. A couple of questions. They have two more. This next one is specifically, is cutting someone out of your life biblical? So is there a way that you say, hey, this is enough. I'm cutting this person out of my life. And that be a biblical principle that somebody could do in order for their own safety or, you know, maybe for spiritual reasons. Uh, Yeah, it depends. You know, this is a tough question. And I approach this with trepidation. As I approach any question, I want to make sure that we're fearing and loving God and properly representing his heart. And the last thing I'd want to do is give uh, any kind of, uh, you know, instruction that's not scriptural. Uh, But there's certainly scriptural instruction where it comes to a point where certain people uh, are to be cut out of our lives if the shoe fits, so to speak. We have to be very careful because some Christians will cut people out of their lives for very unbiblical reasons and claim it's biblical. I just got a call from a good brother uh, named Ryan, a really neat brother, love love him. Uh, And he was just like, Joe, going through something really tragic because my dad and myself, we're not allowed to go over to visit our my my daughter, my sister, and her husband anymore. And and he told me why. And he said my dad showed them scripture, and they came out of Bethel, in Reading, and all that heresy. They'd been in there for years, 
They came out of it, and now they ended up in a very Calvinistic church. And now they said, because you guys don't accept Calvinism, you're not welcome. He's not even welcome from his side of the story. I've only heard his side. You're not. They're not welcome to go. He can't even see his grit. His sister, his nephews, nieces, or I'm not sure how many children are there. And the dad can't visit his grandchildren. Well, that's cutting someone out of your life because they disagree with Calvinism, you know, which is ridiculous. We're not Calvinist, but if I have a Calvin, if I had Calvinistic relatives, I'd be praying for them. I love them. You know, they could be brothers and sisters in Christ as long as they're trusting Jesus, but I would not disown them or say, you know, you know, that you have to reject Calvinism or I can't uh, fellowship with you at all. You know, um, at the same time, the Calvinist shouldn't be saying you have to receive John Calvin in your heart to be christian it's ridiculous right so however there are certain points where we have to work to obey the scripture we have to cut off certain people to one extent or another and this one was one i uh I, i'm gonna look go and read some scriptures on because chad had sent this one to me earlier and i'm going to show you how many scriptures actually speak to this issue second timothy 3 1 it says the last days perilous times will come right Men will be lovers of self, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, accusers, uh, the bre- you know, accusers, just all kinds of things, you know, uh, without family love, you know, storge, on and on and on. But it says they'll have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. So these are not just ordinary people. These are people that claim to be Christians, but they reject God's authority over their lives, right? It says, from such turn away okay depending on the translation avoid such as these right or uh and that's you know and so forth in matthew 18 jesus in verses 15 through 17 talks about church discipline right your brothers in sin go in and, and confront him you know in love paul said restore one who's fallen in a spirit of gentleness amen so you want to love people and you want to realize wow this person's in trouble because they're in in sin you want to love them enough to pray for him and, and encourage him to to repent, if he doesn't repent, bring one or two with you. If he still doesn't repent, after that second warning, bring it before the church and let him be considered as a tax gatherer and as a heathen or a pagan, uh, which that kind of language is being used for distancing yourself from someone who continues to walk wickedly. In fact, Titus chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes to the young pastor there, reject a divisive man after the first and second warning. So that's interesting. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, Paul's talking about a man who's having sexual relations with his own mother. And Paul says that, you know, Paul rebukes the church at Corinth because some of them were libertines. And he said, you ought to be mourning this, but you're celebrating this. So, hey, we're saved by grace. We do whatever we want. And Paul says to put the man out of the church because a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump, right? A little bit of yeast causes the whole, all the dough to puff up. So, in other words, sin and wickedness is infectious. And if there's churches and you belong to a church that doesn't believe in church discipline, doesn't believe in correcting sin, well, that just allows sin to run amok and people know what each other are doing and they all feel like they're, oh, we're all saved, you know? We sing kumbaya because, you know, we went up to the altar call one time to pass. We're all going to heaven and there's a lot of damn people in that church if they're not following Jesus and truly repentant. That's serious stuff. So, Paul says, you know, put the man uh, put put the put him from your midst, you know. Uh, he calls him a wicked man and a so-called brother at that point. And what's interesting is, but Paul, this is really interesting because you're not supposed to associate with him now, right? 
But it's interesting because Paul gives a warning. I'm not applying this to the people in the world that haven't that aren't professing faith in Christ. Listen to what he says. But he's applying it to a so-called brother, right? Therefore, let us keep the feast, he says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and of truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So don't associate with sexually immoral people. I was not including the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. Okay? He says not if you eat with such a one, meaning a brother who's in rebellion to God, claiming to be a Christian, but he's cheating on his wife. Or he's getting drunk, you know, and partying, like getting hammered and saying, but I love Jesus, man. Well, guess what? By you fellowship with him, act like everything's cool and he's heaven bound? You're basically patting on the back saying, yeah, bro, praise God, man. Ain't great to be a Christian. And you're actually helping him go to hell because you're not taking a stand saying, hey, I can't fellowship with you if you're in your rebellion to God, claiming to be a Christian. You know, that's very, very important. Uh, but he's saying not to disassociate with the world because you'd have to leave the planet. In other words, we're around a lot of non-believers. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light to these non-believers. Amen. And it was the early church. Back to that other question that was asked before. How do I serve the Lord? That serve the Lord in the context of their very lives. That rubbed shoulders with wicked people that didn't know Jesus. That began to bring people in mass to Jesus. So we need to reach out to the lost. But at the same time, those who claim to be saved, but are rebelling against the Lord and his word, we need to warn them and let them know you're not going, you're not going to enter the kingdom. You're not going to inherit the kingdom. We got to say, hey, man, I love you, but I can't hang out with you, fellowship with you if you're going to continue to be in rebellion to the Lord. In fact, listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good morals. We got to be very careful. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from any brother, keep away from any brother who leads an undisciplined life. He says that's not in keep, that is not in keep with the tradition received from us. A couple more, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14. Take note of anyone who does not obey the instructions we have given in this letter. Do not associate with him so that we may so that he may be ashamed. And so what's going on here is that person is more likely to come back to Jesus. That doesn't mean to be cold-hearted mean-spirited, oh, man, you're a dirtbag now. I want nothing to do with you. That would be wrong. We got to have broken hearts like Jesus did. He had compassion on us. He went after us. We need, to, we need to plead for them to come back to the Lord, amen? We need to reach out to them. We let them know that, hey, we can't, we can't hang out with those buds like this, so I love you if you're going to persist in rebellion against the Lord. In 2 Thessalonians 3.14, take note of anyone who does not, uh, and he says, don't associate so they'll be ashamed. But Romans 16, 17, this is an important one too. What about those who are divisive in the and in, in they come to your church and or they come into your assembly and they're trying to steer people away from the word of God, steer people away from God's truth and preaching false doctrines? And Paul says, mark those who cause division and stumbling blocks, not according to the doctrines you have learned. And he still goes on to say, and turn away from them. Turn away from them. Let me give you one more. And this is the Apostle John in his second epistle. He says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, he's talking about the teaching that Jesus is the Christ, because he said just before that they deny that Jesus is the Christ. And they had these home churches at that time, and people could come in, these Gnostics would try to come in, bring an insurrection to the church. Just look at First John, denying that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, denying the relationship between the Father and Son. He says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, meaning that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, 
that he is the Son of God. Do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Wow. So that means if there's these heretics that are trying to influence the church, but you act like he's a brother, hey, bro, and you give him the, the, the biblical, you know, the, the, the holy kiss, right? Or that you act like he's a believer, man, you can lead a lot of other people astray. And so it's very, very dangerous. So there's a myriad of reasons. Uh, you can go back and listen to the tape if you want to go slower through that and say, okay, how do these all apply? Because I know we need to get to other questions because <laughs> I couldn't really ferret all those out as much as I'd love to, but we need to beware and be wise. But also pray for those who are fallen brothers and love them. And they pray, Lord, how can I reach out to them and at the same time not hang out and have koinonia with them? Yeah, amen. These are, these are important topics, so we can't just rush through them. And and guys, I now, Joe, I want to answer a question regarding the Sabbath before we even get into the question, the question, the question at hand. And I think it, it kind of will set some groundwork, but I did want to do a little bit of homekeeping for the people that are on there. We wanted to announce, uh, I guess this is kind of exciting for us because we're having on the East Coast in Pennsylvania, our first ever Good Fight Ministries youth retreat. And so we're actually really excited to do that in the month of August. We're going to be having more information and stuff that we're going to be able to share with you. But if you are just like, hey, I want to send somebody, I, I know someone, a young person who would love to go to Pennsylvania in August and actually get into the word with, with Good Fight Ministries. Uh, we're doing an entire conference for a few days. I'm sorry, not conference, but an entire retreat, actually, for the youth ages 14 to 19. We're really excited about it. We can't wait to give you more details. We're going to be making a video about it, hopefully, to get that out. But if you say, hey, I need to write down someone. I have my my son, my daughter, my neighbor, my friend, whatever. And you say, I want this person to have a spot because there's only about 25 left already. So make sure if you guys want to, you can email me chat at goodfight.org and say, hey, I want my son or daughter at this event, or I want my neighbor at this event. I want them there at this retreat. That would be awesome. Let me know and we'll get them on the list. Uh, like I said, we'll have more details to follow, but I'm, I'm really, really excited that to be able exciting, to go man. out there. Young people getting just bombarded with truth and love. Yeah, for all love and discernment uh, yeah. retreat is what we're going to be Just calling. flying from here to Pennsylvania. So that's a big flight. And that's, you know, my daughter's going to be with you. And yeah. They're married. <laughs> One of my daughters. <laughs> and uh, that's going to be an awesome time for you guys. We yeah. Pray, and also Tommy's going to be with us. Too. Pray for that. Even <laughs> if you're not going, say a little prayer. Lord, bless them. Protect them. Use them. Yeah. And we'll have an opportunity to over the next few weeks or actually a couple months that if you say, hey, you know, I, I don't know someone, I don't, I don't know any young people, but I want to sponsor someone to go, then we'll, we'll have an opportunity for you guys to do that as well. We're going to try to do that. If you say, hey, I know that young, I know young, young people need this and I don't, I may not have somebody who's 14 or 19 who's ready to go out there, but you know what? I know there are people that might not have the financial means and I want to give so they can get out there. That'd be awesome too. So we'll, we'll have an opportunity for that. And if that's something you can contact us as well and just let us know. So thank you so much. So now Joe, now that we're already almost past our hour mark that we're supposed to finish, we can actually get to the <laughs> question at hand. I know we're always running late, but you guys are asking some good questions and I believe some important ones. So I, I think that's really awesome that you guys really have some practical questions, some theological questions. And this one came from Truth to the Youth. Funny enough, he has that name when we're talking about doing a, a, youth, uh, a youth retreat. But nonetheless, says, I don't understand, Joe, and this is regarding a comment you said earlier, but we're talking about the Sabbath, and I believe he comes from my seven-day Adventist background. He said, I don't understand, Joe. You were talking about repentance, which is turning from sin, and sin is to break God's commandments. 
The fourth commandment is the Sabbath commandment. It's not the law of Moses, Joe. So okay. what do you say to that? Well, I would say this. I'd ask him, has he been circumcised? Uh, because circumcised, circumcision is in the Old Testament, right? Uh, and there's 613 or so laws according to the rabbinical codification of in their count of the Mosaic law. And uh, does he do the animal sacrifices? Does he go to the temple? Well, there's no temple, right? And if I start saying these things, he'd say, well, those things aren't for today. That's what he would say. And I'd say, well, how do you know that for today? And he'd probably say, because we're in the new covenant now. And he'd be correct to say we're in the new covenant. And then I'd say, exactly. Bingo. Amen. That's it. We're in the new covenant. We're not under the old covenant. And uh, now my our friend might say, well, no, no. But uh, that's part of the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments is, is part of the new covenant too. Really? Where does it say that Ten Commandments? Show me, thus saith the Lord in the scripture, where it says in the New Testament that the Ten Commandments are part of the new covenant. Now, what I can show you is Paul repeats and the apostles repeat and Jesus repeat as part of New Testament teaching nine of those Ten Commandments because they're all moral laws. And the moral law of God is eternal. He doesn't, it's always wrong to murder and to, to steal and to, to, you know, these things. But guess what? The one commandment, Chad, as you know, that's not repeated is the Sabbath. In fact, what we're told in, in uh, Colossians chapter 2, let no one judge you according to keeping a Sabbath day, right? New moons and Sabbath days. And what we're also told, uh, and I would ask him this too, if I was sitting here and since you're listening, you know, Lord bless you, you know, that was a good discussion. You're wanting to obey the Lord. I, I hear you. And that's good because we want to obey the Lord as well. Absolutely 100%. But there's going to come a time when you're not going to be able to keep the Sabbath. You know how, how I know that? Because it says in Revelation 21 and 22 that there's not going to be no more day and night, that the Father and the Son will be the light of New Jerusalem, and there'll no longer be any night. There's going to be one eternal day, okay? And are you disobeying the Lord now by not keeping the Sabbath? No, you're not, because guess what you're doing? You That is the Sabbath, the ultimate Sabbath. That's the rest that you've entered into through faith in Christ. That's that day of rest. See, this is where we, what we need to understand. Uh, and I didn't anticipate this question coming up, and it's great that I didn't because I knew we were going to deal with this this one, the mark of the beast. But this is good to you know to uh, mention in regard to what's coming up. Is I know you won't be keeping the Sabbath. Nobody will be keeping the Sabbath in the eternal state according to Revelation twenty one and twenty two. One eternal day. Well, guess what? When Jesus came, he said, "Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls." And my burden is is light, right? My yoke is easy. So those of us who have come to, come to Christ have entered into our rest. Hebrews chapter four talks about how through faith in Christ, we enter into his rest, okay? As new covenant believers, the Sabbath was never, Abraham didn't keep the Sabbath. We don't read of it. You read of Abraham keep the Sabbath? I do not. You don't read of Adam keep the Sabbath. You don't read of Isaac keep the Sabbath. You don't read of Jacob keep the Sabbath. But you're, we see in scripture that the Lord told them to commemorate their being set free from Egypt to keep the Sabbath as a day of remembrance, right? Well, guess what? We have been delivered from something far greater than Egypt. We've been delivered from the clutches of Satan's hand, from sin and death and hell. And guess what? Just as God rested on the seventh day, and that was became the day of rest for the Jews, when Jesus rose from the dead, we read in Acts chapter 28 that he rose on the first day of the week. I'm sorry, we read in Matthew chapter 28 that he rose on the first day of the week. And when Jesus rose on the first day of the week, Guess what? We became new creations. And uh, because of his new, because of the, the fulfillment of the gospel, him rising from the dead, the Bible says, if anyone be in Christ, 
He's a new creation. So just as the seventh day was a day of rest in the old creation, right? Now that we become new creations, guess what? He rose on the first day of the week. He breathed on the disciples after that and said, receive the Holy Spirit, right? They became new creations. And then guess what? We read that the early church, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, you can go and read the text. It says that they met together and worshiped on the first day of the week. And then you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, that says, Paul says, to take to the churches to take their collect, collections in Corinth uh, on the first day of the week. That's what he says. And in first and in Revelation chapter one, verse 10, it talks about John talks about I, I was caught up, right? In, in the heavens, right? On on the on the Lord's day. Mm, interesting. What's the Lord's day, John? Well, if you read the early church fathers, some of which were discipled by John's disciples and so forth, they use the Lord's Day of Sundays. Why would it be called the Lord's Day? Because he rose from the dead on Sunday. And that's the day of the new creation. That's the day the early church was meeting. Okay. And I actually do have a quote from that, from Justin Martyr on that, which to show you what the early church had believed, which I think is quite, quite interesting. Uh, let me see. This is great. This is 15080. Okay, I can marshal these quotes, I can give you several quotes from the early church fathers. These are the disciples of the apostles and the disciples of their disciples. Okay. And the early church, Justin Martyr was, along with Irenaeus, the leading Christian apologist that stood up for the truth in the second century. In fact, everybody puts those two as the two, top two apologists. And both of them talk about how the early church met on Sunday. And now listen to what Justin Martyr says in about 150. Many consider him the top apologist of the, of the uh, second century. He says, on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country, now keep in mind, this is a work day too. So this day meant a lot to them, right? All who live in the cities and in the country gather together in one place. And the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read. Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly. Catch that? And I love you. But he said, Sunday is the day which we all, all Christians he knew, hold our common assembly. Because it's the first day, is the first day, right? Uh, on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. Gives two reasons. Same two reasons I gave. New, uh, Christ rose on that day. And guess what? There was, uh, it was a new creation as well. And so I'm not making this stuff up. I'm going to the scripture first and foremost. But we have the backing of the early church fathers. In fact, Justin Martin, you've read a lot of this too, Chad, in his dialogue with Trifle the Jew. He talks about why uh, Trifle the Jew knows they're not worshiping on, on the Sabbath and they're worshiping on Sunday. He's explaining why the early Christians were worshiping on Sunday. So a lot of my our Seventh-day Adventist friends say, oh, well, they were worshiping on Saturday. And then, you know, centuries later in the fourth century, you know, and then later in the, you know, Constantine changed it centuries after Christ and said, let's worship the Catholic Church, worship on Sunday. And that's the new Sabbath. That's the Sabbath. But we don't even say Sunday is a Sabbath. We don't agree with Constantine. That's not the Sabbath. Saturday is a Sabbath. But guess what? We were given this. Either it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We were given Sunday, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. And then we don't even legalistically hold the Sunday. Because Paul says in Romans 14 that one man esteems one day above another and one man esteems all days alike. Paul said, let each be convinced in his own mind. Okay, but Paul didn't want us to cause each other to stumble over which day we worship. So uh, I'm answering your question, and it's a fair question. But I'm letting you know right now, if you go through the New Testament, you know, uh, Jesus, uh, you know, he got a lot of trouble because 
he was considered to have, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. So as the Lord of the Sabbath, uh, his scripture, and Paul is writing, Christ is writing through him by the Spirit, and Paul says that the word of Christ dwelling richly, and part of the word of Christ is, let no one judge you according to a Sabbath, he says, because these things were mere shadows, but the realities in Christ. calls the Sabbath day a shadow. It was a picture of the rest that we have in Jesus. So guess what? I do keep the Sabbath. I trust Jesus. So I'm at rest every day in Christ. Rest from thinking, man, I got to work really hard for God to accept me. No, I'm at rest because it was finished on the cross. Our Lord and Savior died for our sins, rose again. And I'll be resting with him throughout eternity. And one day, we'll literally have this one long day where there's no more sun, you know, no more moon, but perfect bliss in the presence of the Lord forever and ever. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Joe, because I, I know he was responding during it saying, you know, there is a Sabbath in heaven and the Sabbath in heaven is Jesus. It literally says there will be no more night. Jesus will literally be our light. There won't be, you know, this day That's what, it says. That's that what we're talking about. Revelation so, 22. Already we've already entered that. into that rest. We already have Jesus. 100%. Yeah. So, no, th- this is important. And the thing is, we, we love people, question. even those who disagree with us, especially especially that question, you know, because people will point to that and they say, oh, Joe, but this is, you're, you're doing away with the, the fourth commandment and you're, you're, you're picking and choosing. No, we're saying this is the old covenant and under the new covenant, which we also believe the inauguration of the New Covenant takes place even on the Mount of Beatitudes when Jesus Christ is expressing yeah. to them what the New Covenant would look like. And the New Covenant documents, guys, it is so important for us to understand the to read Scripture, the New Testament, in light of them being New Covenant documents in the same way that the Old Covenant documents were, where you knew how you were to walk in light of the covenant that you were having with your God. And now, under the New Covenant, we now walk in that. And as Joe mentioned three or four or five times, not only is Jesus our Sabbath rest, according to Hebrews chapter four, so there remains a Sabbath rest for us in the person of Jesus Christ. But also, as you mentioned, we aren't going to trade the substance for the shadow. And one analogy that you've used over and over, and this is the last thing I'll say before we move on to our last question. I want to give one more quick response. Okay, and this is an analogy you've used, and, and I really do love it, that when you're away from your family and you have pictures of your family and you are looking at those pictures, it's beautiful. I love being able, if I'm away and we're speaking somewhere or something, and I have pictures, I love looking at my daughter, I love looking at my wife, and seeing those pictures, even though they're right, and (laughs) (laughs) even though they're not right there with me, I'm like, man, it is really good to be looking at it. But guess what happens when I land and I drive and I get to my family? I'm not staring at that anymore. That is not the substance. I'm going to embrace my my wife, I'm going to embrace my children, and I now have the substance. And that is what Colossians 2 is saying, that you are trading that substance for the shadow, and you keep peeking over at the at the shadow and not recognizing the substance that's right there in front of you. Yeah, and I would encourage you, we love you, but I would encourage you, why in the world, if this is it's so important to keep the Sabbath and the emphasis that you have on it or you've received, ask yourself a question, why in the world is not only the early church meeting on Sundays, but why is the Apostle Paul, who wrote about half the New Testament, not saying to keep the Sabbath, not once telling us to keep the Sabbath, it's so important. Why? Peter, James, John, Jude. You know, how come we're not seeing that? How come we're not seeing Jesus say, you got to keep the Sabbath as part of the new covenant? And then also understand this, and I just really encourage you to look up Jeremiah 31, 31 through following, and it's quoted in uh, chapter 8 of Hebrews and also part of it in chapter 10, where it says that he, uh, he, he says, you know, that he'll give you a new covenant. He's going to give them a new covenant. And Jesus inaugurated the new covenant, right? 
He says, not like the covenant I made with your fathers at Mount Sinai. It'd be a different covenant that was given when the Ten Commandments were given. And you say, well, the Ten Commandments, I mean, the Fourth Commandment, so forth. I challenge you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 8 and chapter 10. And you'll see that Paul states very clearly in Hebrews chapter 3 that, and also we read in Hebrews, that the commandments that were written on stone are no longer for the church. It says it clearly that they've passed away with Moses. But what you're saying, well, guess what? Nine of them were brought in part of the new covenant, but we're not under the old covenant. We're not under the Ten Commandments. I keep nine of the Ten Commandments, and actually ten because I keep the biblical Sabbath, the new covenant Sabbath, which I'm in Christ. I don't have to worship on Saturday. I'm in on Christ, as we've already stated. So, uh, And also, when Jesus, Jesus did change, it says there's a change in the law. And we just did a whole study on this. I encourage you to look back a, a few weeks, and you'll see that we had a huge question that we went in deep in depth on the new and old covenant about, I don't know, that was about a month ago or so, Chad. I really encourage you to check that out. But I would just say, and, and since Chad mentioned in the Mount of Olives there, you got this really uh, Jesus inaugurating the, the new covenant on the you know Mount of Beatitudes, I should say. And it's there that Jesus said, you've heard it say, you shall swear, you swear your oaths and so forth. You go to the Old Testament, there's places where it says, God says, how to swear your oaths. What Jesus say, says, go down and say, I say, don't swear at all. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anyone who goes beyond this, it's of the evil one. So Jesus brought a new covenant law. And why is the Holy Spirit not one time saying in the new covenant, thou shalt keep the Sabbath? Because guess what? That would undermine the fact that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And you, this is it takes some maturity. I, I'm sorry, I love you, but you have to grow in understanding of typology and how some of these things are, are pictures. And ultimately, that Sabbath is just one long day in Revelation 21 and 22. And that's our rest. And you won't be keeping Saturday in the future for sure. Just read Revelation 21 22. No, it's really important. And, you know, I, I see him quoting, you know, Matthew 24, talking about, you know, he's quoting, the he's flight. not listening. How are you going to learn? I know, I know. And, and I see that, and you see description, not prescription and then you're that's i mean i i love you and the truth is you see the grasping at straws because it's just not found there so to look at jesus talking about the end times and talking about an event and describing it and then saying well i'm going to make this prescriptive as if jesus is saying that all christians under the new covenant are going to be keeping yeah, which is Sabbath. kind of interesting if it it's can't be prescriptive because jesus says to take off he says to take off and leave the city what if you, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place? Now, he would t- be telling them to break the Sabbath, Chad. He says, pray that it's not on Sabbath, right? Or it's not in winter. Why? Because winter will be tr- hard to travel. Or you aren't giving uh, breastfeeding at that time, right? Why? Because that would be very difficult. Well, it would be very difficult on the Sabbath, too. Why? And we express that. I mean, do you know there's huge buildings in, in, in Jerusalem, and they have several floors, many of them? And if it's on the Sabbath, even on Sabbath and Thursday, they close the gates. It would be hard to get out, okay? You'd have to just climb the wall and just leave the city. But guess what? Today, and you live in a Sabbath-keeping community of Orthodox Jews, they'll stone your car. I'll try to stone you there sometime. If you are in a tall building, it stops at every, every floor. floor yeah. And automatically, the elevator takes forever to get up and down. We, and it happened to, to us. Yeah. Traveling. Right. We you were know, trying to leave. Can you imagine? Oh, we got to leave the Antichrist. Is there? We can't leave. Elevator, man. I think I might kind of rope out the window. So, uh, but Jesus can't be saying because it's the Sabbath, you don't want to break the Sabbath there. You know why? Because he says explicitly to run, take off and flee. So he'd be telling you to break the Sabbath if that's the way you take that, because you're not allowed to travel that far when you're under the Sabbath. Jesus is saying take off to the wilderness. No, it's it's true. All right. Well, I guess that brings us right to the next question, which is the most important, because this is 
I, I like I said, I was very surprised as a new believer watching different videos online. There's guys like Doug Bachelor and, and and so forth, and I didn't even know where he stood on some of those views, and I, I didn't even know he was SDA when I was first watching some videos, and then meeting people and them telling me that really worshiping on Sunday. I mean, there's a ton of really bad historical argumentations of the Catholic Church started this, even though you're reading from Justin Martyr. I'd say if you want to try to pinpoint a time where there's actually a, a Catholic, before church, the Catholic Church, arose. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, before that's before Constantine, let alone Pope Leo, years. Yeah. right? I mean, in 451. But but nonetheless, you have that the bad history of that. But then when I would have somebody, like I said, I was at the gym as a young believer. I just came to Christ. But I have someone come up and tell me that, you know, your church really, this is, this is the, I'm sorry, in the end times, this is the mark of the beast. This worshiping on Sunday is actually the mark of the beast, Joe. And there are plenty of people who believe that. And that's why Austin Starr asked, how do you address seven-day Adventists who claim that Sunday worship is the mark of the beast, or at least is going to be the mark of the beast? The okay, times? the first time you read about the mark of the beast is in Revelation chapter 13. And you read about it throughout the book of Revelation after that in chapter 14 and chapter 16 and uh, chapter 19 toward the end there chapter 20 toward the beginning of that chapter. And never once are we told that it's not keeping the Sabbath or it's worshiping the Lord on Sunday. Uh, in fact, the early church didn't understand it that way at all because the early church who was rejoicing in the book of Revelation, uh, those that write about it, they're worshiping on Sunday. They didn't understand it that way. And what I would say to someone who says that, I go, show me the scripture. The Bible says not to go beyond what's written. Say, show me in the scripture where it says to, to worship on Sunday instead of Saturday. Somehow you're receiving the mark of the beast or you're going to have in the future the mark of the beast. It's just, it's nowhere in scripture. In fact, the, the mark of the beast isn't about what day you worship. It's about buying or selling. Totally different than what uh, historically some Seventh-day Adventists have said. In fact, some of them, and Ellen White, as I said in the beginning of the show when you first brought up that this question would be uh, the main question, I point out that there's a lot of Seventh-day Adventists that don't follow Ellen White, that aren't thinking they got to keep the Sabbath to be saved and aren't following Ellen White as a prophetess. And don't even believe that that's the mark of the beast. Okay, uh, so I want to say that we're not, you know, putting everybody under that umbrella. But it's interesting because Ellen White, I'm going to quote her a couple times, and she's considered the main prophet, or I should say, prophetess of the, for many Seventh Day Adventists. Beginning, she was there at the beginning of Seventh Day Adventism. She says, "Here we find, and this is in Ellen Jean White's The Mark of the Beast, page 23. Wow, even a publication, right? Here we find the mark of the beast, the very act of changing the Sabbath into Sunday." on the part of the Catholic Church, without any authority from the Bible. Uh, then we also read in The Great Controversy, Volume 4, uh, page 28, very popular book among SDA folks, quote, she says, quote, the change of the Sabbath is the sign of the mark of the authority of the Romish Church. The keeping of the counterfeit Sabbath is the reception of the mark, end quote. So uh, some SDAs are unaware that this is even taught historically by the church. So I want to make that clear. But I do want to say this, in Revelation chapter 13, it's very clear what the mark of the beast is. And we're warned, as I said, not to go beyond Scripture. And in Revelation 13, verse 16, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, it says that he causes all, the small and the great, uh, the, 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 the free and the, the, the slaves, and the rich and the poor to be given a mark, either on the right hand or their forehead, and that nobody can buy or sell unless he takes the mark of the beast, which is either, goes on to say either the name of the beast or the number 
of the name of the beast, which is 603 score and six in the King James. That's how I have it memorized from when I was a young Christian or 666, which is what 603 score and six are. Uh, and and it's, that's the number of his name, the number of the name of the Antichrist. And according to Revelation 13, you have to take this number in your right hand or on your forehead to buy or sell. There's nothing to do about what day you worship the Lord on. That was just made up out of thin cloth. And by the way, I'd have to be honest with you, you could just type in Ellen White, false prophecies. You'll see that she'd made a number of false prophecies. And uh, I'm going to stick with the scripture. I'm going to stick with the apostle uh, John uh, being uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ who gives us the book of Revelation. Then when you get to Revelation chapter 14, Chad, verses 9 through 12, it talks about the, the third angel. There's three different angels that fly through the midheavens, right? One preaches the everlasting gospel. One cries out, Babylon's fallen. The third one talks about how everyone who's taken the mark of the beast or the number of their name in their right hand or their forehead, right? It's eight, we believe, because it says it over and over again, that there'll be a literal 666, eight, the number of the name or the name of the beast on people's right hand or forehead in the end times to buy or sell. In fact, if you look what's going on with digital technology, if you look what's going on with, you know, biotech and so forth and what they're trying to do in, in giving people technology to access things, I mean, there's all kinds of videos that do a pretty good job exposing where this is going and where the technology is bringing us. And we read in Revelation 14 that their part will be in the lake of fire. Or it doesn't mention the word term lake of fire until later, but the, their part will be in, you know, they'll have burning, you know, fire and brimstone. They'll have no death, arrest day and night forever and ever. And in Revelation chapter 16, those that take the mark of the beast in the right hand or their forehead, guess what it says? In the first couple of verses, it says, it's the, 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 the last of God's wrath is to be poured out. And then the bowls begin to be poured. And when, the, when you look at the early bowls, uh, right away, man, a bowl of judgment takes place. And it says a grievous sore appeared on the bodies of those who took the mark of the beast. So people are going to have grievous sores on their right hand uh, or perhaps on their forehead even. And maybe people that don't have arms, they, or maybe it'll just be a choice on your right hand or your forehead. But in Revelation 14, you're damned if you take that, that mark. But uh, why is there a grievous sore on their body? Because they took this mark. And it may be God's judgment upon them. It is God's judgment for sure, but it may be also a reaction to uh, messing with the biology that God's given us with technology uh, and so forth. I know they've experimented with lithium batteries and things like that in the nature in the past where there's concerns when you look at the technology that this could be hazardous to one's health, taking uh, chips and so forth. And then you go to Revelation 19 and uh, the beast and, and the Antichrist, the false prophet, fight against Christ. you got those beasts worship that take the mark of the beast. You have Revelation chapter 20, and in verse 4, it talks about those who have been resurrected, right? And it talks about uh, God blessing them and that they're going to reign with Christ for a thousand years. It talks about those who did, they did not take the mark of the beast in the right hand, right, or their forehead, and uh, so forth. So it's emphasized over and over again that it's not a spiritual thing that you just worship the wrong on the wrong day. Okay, it's actually a uh, it's actually I believe very literal. And again, and anybody that's out there might think any you got a Seventh Day Adventist background like you've been fearing. You're like, wait, I think I can worship on Sunday. In fact, I don't see the Sabbath in the New Covenant. But man, I don't want to have the mark of the beast. That's not in Scripture. And you need to put trust in what the Lord says and what He's revealed. That that's adding to scripture. In fact, you don't want to add to scripture. I feel bad for, you know, uh, people like Ellen White who add to the book of Revelation because she's adding to the scripture there, stating something that's not in the scripture. And Revelation chapter 22, verse 19 says, and, and Chad, you're familiar with this passage as well. If anyone 
uh, I'm sorry, verse 18, verse 20, verse uh, 19 is if you take away uh, from this book, uh, your part will be taken from things written in the Holy City and so forth. But verse 18 says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. Isn't it ironic that those who add to this book and say this means this and this means that, and, and then they make it. Uh, keep in mind, and, and I have to say this, and I love my Seventh-day Adventist friends, but I have to say this, is that, uh, you know, when you look at the Articles of Faith in the Seventh-day Adventist movement, uh, many of them are told to, to believe that, that, that she's a prophet and that her words are, are, are like the Scripture, you know? And that's, the Bible says, don't go by on what's written, and we're not to add or take away to the book of Revelation. So this is serious stuff, and for anybody who's been under, like, man, I hope I don't have the mark of the beast because I'm not keeping the Saturday Sabbath, not scriptural, not the Word of God, not what the book of Revelation is talking about. In fact, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, when they approach the book of Revelation, they're historicists, so they believe it's being fulfilled through hundreds of years rather than we see uh, a lot of the book of Revelation has to do with the last uh, 42 months of history before Christ comes back, and it's still future. Amen. No, amen. And, you know, I, I had been reading uh, some articles and, and some teachings by SDAs, specifically Pastor Mark Finley, who had written about uh, that basically it was because God, Jesus Christ being the co-eternal creator, and basically his premise is when you're coming against him and you're coming against the day that he's decided to worship, it's a very interesting spin on things when you see Ellen G. White making things really, really clear. And that now this is us not getting our rest that's rightly due us as being followers of Jesus. And I think that that just comes from such a wrong premise. And I think a lot of this stuff is so ad hoc that it's something that because you've learned under this tradition and you're trying to figure out a way to say, oh, well, I'm not saying they're not brethren, even though when it when Ellen G. White's saying that stuff, that, that yeah, that's pretty. Ellen, that's the division. Now, Ellen, yeah. you know, one of the divisions is Ellen White is saying that we have the mark of the beast or we will have the mark of the beast. They're Find the salvos, and I'm like, no, it's not what. Yeah. And if you're baptized into the SDA, you are supposed to specifically believe in the teachings mm-hmm. of Ellen G. White, and that yeah. an angel, you know, did come to her to and tell more her. More and more Adventists have come out of yeah. that. Thank God. Yeah. No. Amen. So it's, it is important, and the thing is, is obviously we want to do this in love. We want to share the truth, and we also want to say, like, if you're telling people this, if you're actually you believe that at some point the end times are coming, and we all do believe that. But, and you're telling us that, oh, it's at that time that people are, then, then it's really serious. Guys, that, that's important for us to recognize. We have millions of believers that have been worshiping Jesus on the first day of the week that absolutely love him without a doubt. And you are telling them that they are a part of this antichrist agenda to get people to worship on the wrong day. And then all of a sudden, if, you know, if we don't worship on, um, you know, the seventh day, then we're going to be in trouble you know, or we're going to lose rewards. I mean, all of these things. And I think a lot of it, Joe, and you mentioned this over and over, a lot of it just goes back to not understanding our relation to the old and new covenants and not understanding even the 10 commandments relation to the old and new covenants. And I think Romans chapter seven, I don't want to get us down a rabbit trail because we're already 21 minutes past our time. But I think Romans chapter seven, the very beginning of it gives us a really, a really good understanding. I think the old and new wineskins gives us a really good understanding of these things. Uh, And we could deal with that on other episodes, but it's a topic, Joe, that's going to come up because people get really confused about this and they ask questions just like this and mm-hmm. they bring up Matthew 24 and they go, oh, look, it's on the Sabbath and it can get confusing. So we'll always try to bring it back to scripture in love, in the truth. 
And hopefully you guys be blessed. And- yeah, we love you guys. That's our heart is to glorify the Lord and, and draw you closer to Jesus and make sure that we're following Jesus, you know, the way he's called us to follow him. And you want to stick with his words. And if you're putting her words above his words, and then you're reinterpreting his word based on her words, then that you got to be careful. You're not, you know, you're, you're being led by a woman who's made false prophecies. And you're also, that can be a form of idolatry when you put Ellen White, her teachings, because you're not going to get that from scripture. You can go to an island and read the book of Revelation and say, oh, the mark of the beast, that's not, that's worshiping on the Lord on Sunday. You'll never get that. So if you have things that are, are have be, you've, been, you've received because someone's claimed to be a prophetess and that same person made false prophecies, come on, just do the math. Jettison those things and just stick to Jesus and stick to his word. Amen. Amen. And thank you guys so much for joining us. And if you get a shot, make sure to go to marveldcexposed.com and you guys can see our latest documentary. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this show and God bless you guys. Love you guys. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.